Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 1 is where we are today. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. We've we've talked specifically last week about the Apostle Paul himself, the author of this book. Two weeks before that, we kind of got an overview from Dr. Voorhees about Corinth and what was going on there. And when it comes to this letter, you'd be hard-pressed to find a New Testament church that's struggling more than this one, other than maybe some of the ones that are mentioned in Revelation. We see that this is a church that is wrestling with the culture around them, where the culture has has seeped in. Corinth was this very wealthy area, and there were a bunch of really smart people, and and there was this argument about uh, being entitled, and there was this divisiveness. There was just a lot of things going on in the church that, honestly, if we look at the church today, we can see a a very unfortunate parallel to the church in Corinth. We can see how, how God has has continued to push on the very same issues as the enemies continue to work through culture and other ways to, to seep into the church. And we can see that across the way. And so the Apostle Paul begins his letter today, and that's where we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me, let me read it for us, and then we'll dig in. Verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, Soth, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their land, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is an intro, and Paul, if you've you've read any of the New Testament, Paul always begins an intro with this first greeting about who he is and and what what his calling is. And then he he goes into Thanksgiving. In fact, every, every book that the author, uh, that Paul has authored, other than Galatians, starts with the Thanksgiving, which is really interesting because if you think about it, in this scripture, in this text, he's actually writing this letter to a church in Corinth that had brought trouble to him, and he's answering a bunch of questions, a bunch of issues that they have, they have let seep into it, and he begins by thanking. Now, the cynical or sarcastic side can go, okay, well, he's just being sarcastic here, but I think Paul's actually doing something profoundly brilliant in this intro. And so I want to just look at it real quickly because some of the issues that we see arise through the rest of the book, the Apostle Paul literally highlights every single one of them in this intro. He literally brings about an understanding of where he's going to go in the rest of the letter just by the few words he does here. But instead of coming at them hard, which he's going to down the road, he, he begins in Thanksgiving. And it got me thinking about our life. And I think a lot of times in, in most of us, when we have something difficult to communicate to someone, when we have a hard conversation that needs to be had, we don't have the relationship necessarily to, to, to be in, an encourager to them so that it comes out and it never is really received well. And some could assume that the Apostle Paul is just using some brilliant form of rhetoric or, or some, kind of, some kind of educated argument for his sake to be thankful, but I don't think that's what he's doing. 
I think what he's doing here is he's reminding them of something profound that they've already forgotten. It's actually the issue of everything that they're going to struggle with through the rest of this book. It's the issue that, that they've, they've lost sight of one specific thing. And in because of that, there's divisiveness and there's struggling with the spiritual gifts and there's missing, missing what the resurrection means for them. And, and all of these, these struggles and these battles that are, that are going on through Corinthians, it's all missed because of one thing. And the Apostle Paul does it. So first he, he, he lays out and says, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. So first off, Sosthenes, we don't know a lot about him. There's one Sosthenes that's, that's mentioned in Acts who was a leader of a synagogue in Corinth. It could be this one, but, but there's no real true understanding if it is. But ultimately, what we do know is the way that this book is written, Sosthenes isn't writing this book with Paul. He's most likely transcribing it for Paul. And so it's not him necessarily speaking into this like we would in maybe Thessalonians and some of those other ones where there's other people speaking into it. It's him just speaking and this brother writing it. But everyone in Corinth would know who this person is. So whether it was the synagogue leader or not, every single person in Corinth that they're writing to, the church, would know who this person is. Now, the Apostle Paul begins with his greeting as normal. And most of us just kind of skip over this section. However, we find out very quickly, in fact, in this chapter, just next week we'll find out, is that there's, a, there's an issue with Paul's authority. One of the struggles and, and the reason why divisiveness has started to, to work its way into the Corinth church is because of Paul's actual authority. And so the Apostle Paul begins with, look, I've been called by the will of God. This isn't, this isn't me speaking on my own authority. The only authority I have is because of what Jesus Christ has done in me. I've been called by him. I'm, I'm being used by him. It's him I preach. It's not me. And so in the very beginning, at the very intro, he lays this out again to be very clear. And every single person that was hearing this letter in Corinth would have whatever strife or struggle was playing through the, their minds at the same time. Okay, so he begins again. Here he is, Apostle Paul, will of God. Okay, he's speaking into us. Paul's the one that started this church. So, so he's the one that kind of got this thing going. So, so here he is writing back to them saying, hey, I'm not even going to talk necessarily to the leaders. I want to talk to the entire church in Corinth. But first, remember, remember who I am. And the Apostle Paul does somehow unbelievably so well. He both shows the authority he has in Christ at the very same time, recognizing that he has zero authority if it weren't for Christ. He's incredibly humble, but yet extremely confident. It's a, it's a beautiful position. And then he says, to the church of God, to the church of God. Now, this is really, really important because in Corinth, what's happening is there's most likely a number of little house churches that were meeting in Corinth, but what was happening is there was some divisiveness happening. Well, you go to this church or you go to that church or, or this, these people follow the, Apollos or this people follow Paul. And there was, this, there was this kind of this ripping happening. And the apostle Paul, in his greeting, just does away with it real quick. He just says, hey, to the church of God. Let me, just, let me just establish this really quickly for you. It's not this church and that church and this church and that church. It's the church of God. And we're going to talk extensively about that next week. It's actually, I think, almost worse for us today because of the options we have and how we treat the bride of Christ. But the apostle says, no. No, I'm writing to the church of God, to God's church, to not my church, to not Revolution 22 church, but to God's church. And he establishes that at the very beginning. He says, that is in Corinth. And then he goes on and says something that, that most of us would pass over, right? He says, 
to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So he's, he's reestablishing, reiterating this whole, this is God's church. But he's being very clear to who is a part of God's church. It's those whom are being sanctified. It's those who, who not only are being sanctified, but have been but have been called to be saints. That word saints is better to be said as holy, to be set apart. You've been called to be set apart. Now, this is, this is just the intro, guys. He's going he's gonna to elaborate on all of this stuff through the rest of the book. But he's establishing something so profound. He's saying, look, look, you were called to be set apart. Now, the Corinthians weren't really misunderstanding what was going on. It was obvious that there would have been strife in the church. They knew that people went off to talk to Paul. They knew that wrestling was going on, and some were questioning their, their motives and how they were operating and what was going on in the church. They weren't unaware of what was going on. And now the apostle Paul says, look, I'm writing to the church of Corinth, which is every single one of you that profess the way of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you, and you were called to be set apart, holy. But here's, here's the, the best part. He doesn't say calling, he says called. So he's establishing, he's saying, look, you're set apart. If you're in Christ, you're to be sanctified. You're to be holy. He establishes in this very first opening statement, he establishes the thing that we all wrestle with, the, the, the holy but not yet holy, the, the, the completing but not completed the, the, the save that I'm, I'm in the Lord, but I continue to wrestle with sin. And he just establishes this right in the beginning. And the reason why I think he establishes this is because of what he goes on into verse four. He says, look, he says, look, I, I want you to see who you are. You are a people that aren't just a part of Corinth. You are a people that aren't just here in Boise or Meridian or the surrounding areas. You are a people that are meant to be set apart that are meant to be holy, that God has, through Christ, began a work in you that he promises to complete. Don't lose sight of that. If you lose sight of that, then you'll miss every single aspect of what's going on from here. And that's what he says. He says, look, I'm writing to you. So for those of us sitting in the chairs that are, that are here today or, or that, that are listening on the podcast, wherever you are, whatever you're doing in this situation, when you, when you experience this, when you see this, the Lord is saying to you through the Apostle Paul, I'm writing to you because you're sanctified, because you've been called by the Lord, because you're set apart. Don't lose sight of that. Don't let yourself look too much like this world, because you're not of this world. And the Apostle Paul, just in the beginning, just established, like, hey, here's my calling, here's who I am, and don't forget who you are. Don't lose sight of who you are. And he goes on into verse 4, and he starts saying, I give thanks to my God always. And that, now, what does he have to be thankful for? This church in Corinth, I mean, they got, we got guys sleeping with their stepmothers. We got divisiveness. We got people over-exacerbating the spiritual gifts and, and, and pride in there. And we got all kinds of just horrible things going on in this church. Now, why does the Apostle Paul give thanks? It's because of their calling. Do you, see, do you see what he's doing here? He's going he's gonna to just brilliantly lay out in an intro before he just digs in deep to the theology, right? Really, really, really deep. And he's going to brilliantly lay out and say that God is worthy of being thanked for your salvation. God is willing, God is, God is worthy of being, of being thanked for your salvation. God is worthy of, of being thanked for the gifts that are being shown in your life. Yeah, 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 you're distorting them. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a mess. I get it. But you have gifts, and only the Holy Spirit gives gifts. And that only comes from those who are in Christ. 
And so he's, he's encouraging these Corinth believers. These Gentiles that don't have maybe a bunch of understanding of the old Jewish history of theology and all these things. He's, he's bringing in an understanding of, to them to say, look, when it comes to being in Christ, I give thanks. And here's what I give thanks for. I give thanks, God, always for because of you, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Now, this is the second time he says grace. I, I skipped over one, so let me go back to it. In verse 3, he says, grace to you and peace from, you, from God our Father. This is brilliant that the Apostle Paul does this. This statement is, is brilliant because grace to you was a common Greek-speaking intro. Like, hey, the Greco-Romans would, would speak this grace to you. Peace was a Hebrew one. It's a, it's to be in peace, be it shalom. And so he, he puts them together and mirrors it because, again, what was happening is there were Jewish Christians in Corinth, and there was a battle going on here, and they're trying to understand these things. And so he's, he's saying, look, grace and peace to all of you. And how does he do it? Instead of just the, the basic statement of grace to you and peace, he says, from our God, the Father, through who? Jesus Christ. You want to experience grace, it comes through Jesus Christ. You want to experience peace, it comes through Jesus Christ. And it can be had in Jesus Christ today for those who are in him. So he says that. Now, the second part he's thanking for grace. Now, this is a different grace. This is the, the salvation grace. This is the, the undeserved gift that we have. Something that, that we can't claim on our own. We spend a bunch of time in Hebrews talking about the only way that we can come to know, Je know God is through Jesus Christ, right? And so he's saying, I give thanks to God for the grace that was shown to you. See, he's not, he's not thanking them for their graciousness. He's helping them see really quickly that the fact that they get a walk in grace has nothing to do with them, with their struggles or with what they're doing well, with how well they're using the gifts of God or really how terribly they're using them. He's saying, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm thanking God that God brought grace to you. See, and I think most of us forget to thank God for that. And I think, that's where we, I think that's where we get messed up. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul's, it's one of the many things he's trying to do in this little intro, is remind him that this is, this is, this is a profound thing. To experience grace, to, to not get what we deserve, which is punishment and death because of our sins, to experience grace through God's mercy in Jesus Christ, this is a profound thing. And the Apostle Paul doesn't want to lose sight of that. And so he just starts, says, look, Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that in spite of what's going on in Corinth, in spite of what's going on in little, little Rev 22, thank you, God, for your grace for these people. He goes on. He thanks them again. This isn't the only thing he thanks for. Thank you for the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. It was given. It's not being giving. It was given, meaning he's speaking to believers. He's speaking to brothers and sisters. These brothers, that's, that's important for us to remember when we start digging into Corinthians. There's some messed up stuff happening in the Corinth church. And the Apostle Paul is giving thanks for the grace that has been given to the church in Corinth. Don't lose sight of that. That's important. He goes on and says, and that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Now he's going to spend a bunch of time talking about all speech and all knowledge. But this word enriched is to mean, it really is better translated, made rich. You were made rich. Now, this is important for us to understand. To be, to be made rich was something that, that this was a, a, a huge port city. Corinth was wealthy. Money was everywhere. 
And essentially, what was happening is, is, is the richer people got, the poorer spiritually they were. And so what would happen is, is the, the, the people in Corinth were, were about status and, and stature and being rich and knowing these things. And the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 no. I thank God that you've been enriched with everything that you need. What is he talking about? He's not talking about money here. He says in speech and wisdom, he doesn't talk about grace or faith or love or some of the other things when he uses this, this word in other books. But he's saying, look, you're going to be made rich. You're, you're made rich spiritually. That means no matter how hard it gets, which is what was happening in Corinth right now. There was, there was struggles with, with uh, commerce and some of the things, with the spiritual beliefs and, the, and the, the melting pot was going on. People were being tied out. And when there was divisiveness happening, they were getting their businesses cut out. And so there was, there was struggle. There was wrestling happening. And he's saying, look, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what you do for worldly wealth. You have been enriched in every way. Don't lose sight of that, church. Don't lose sight. He's just, again, he's just teasing these things out. He's going he's gonna to elaborate immensely on every single one of these things through the book of, of Corinthians. But he's helping them to, to remember, like, I'm giving thanks that you already have been made rich in Christ. So, so what about us today? Do you, do you experience that wealth? Or do you find yourself ch- still chasing the world's wealth? Do you experience the, the gratitude and the thankfulness that the Lord has given you everything necessary? You've been made rich. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, you've been rich. You've been made rich. Then he says, even as the testimony. Now, this word testimony is where we actually get our word martyr from. It says, even as the martyr about Christ was confirmed among you. What does this mean? It means it's gonna be hard. But you wanna know that you're confirmed in Christ. You You wanna understand that you are in Christ. You'll see it through your testimony. You'll see it through the difficulties. You'll see it as you remain under the trials and you stay steadfast in this and your faith perseveres. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Your testimony will be enriched and shown no matter how hard it gets and it will get really, really hard. Some of you are experiencing immense hardship no matter how difficult it gets. He's saying, This is your testimony. This is what confirms you are the Lord's. You're the Lord's. This confirms it. I give thanks for that. And then he goes on and says, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait, eagerly wait, there's a better way to say that, for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what he does here is he says, look, you're not lacking in any gift. And he brings up the word gift and grace a lot of times as as given. And that's where chapter 12 through 14 are going to talk a lot about gifts and, and, and the idea of those being given to people and what those mean. But he's saying, ultimately, like, you, you can see and be confirmed that you are the Lord's because of your testimony and the gifts from which you have received. Because God gives the gifts through the Holy Spirit. And you don't get the gifts of the Holy Spirit without being the Lord's. So he's saying, look, you've been confirmed. You're a people. You are God's people. You are to be set apart. You are, you are his children. And you can have confidence in that. You can be not... Not that you can live however you want. That's not what this book is talking about. In fact, the book will spend a bunch of time talking about how we are to live as holy followers of Jesus Christ. But in spite of everything you're struggling with, take heart. Be thankful that you have every single gift that is necessary. You have everything necessary to make much of Jesus Christ in your life. This was profound because in this, in Corinth, there was a bunch of debate and, and, and rhetoric happening around just smart communicators. 
And the Apostle Paul is brilliant, okay? We've already established that. He could have come in and just head knowledge the whole conversation and won every single person over in Corinth by the way he communicates. But we'll see in, in, in actually the rest of this chapter, next chapter, how he chooses to be foolish so the Lord can be elevated. But what he's doing is he's saying, look, you have everything you need. It doesn't matter if you come from Jewish background. It doesn't matter if you have the history of this. In you, in Christ, you have every spiritual need to do what? To make much of Jesus Christ for your life. To glorify him, to speak of him. This is a really great text for us to say that no matter how young you are in your faith, you can share about Jesus Christ with anyone. Because you have everything in Christ. You have everything there. And then he goes on and talks about the future. He says, he says those that eagerly wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus. Now, we've talked about this back in, in Hebrews, but I just want to highlight this real quickly. If you aren't eagerly awaiting Jesus Christ to come back, you love this world more than him. That's something we have to wrestle with. We should be excited about Jesus coming back. Our broken, falling apart bodies, especially mine right now, done away with, right? Made whole, complete. The sinfulness, the brokenness in your relationships, the, the anger, the hatred, the messed up disgustingness of this world done away with when Jesus comes back in. That should be something we are so eager to see that we literally find ourselves waking up at night pleading the Lord for him to come back. Eagerly await, and he goes on, he says, who will sustain us? What will he do? He will hold you up until the end. Now, imagine hearing that Maybe it's not too hard for us to imagine because, again, I think there's a lot of parallels between us, the church as a whole today, and the church in Corinth. But just hear this for a second. Christ is going to sustain you to the end. Some, some of us need to hear that. He's going he's gonna to hold you up. He's going to hold you up. He's going to sustain you. How? By being guiltless to the day of the Lord. He's going to sustain you. He's not, he's not going to leave you. He's not going to bail on you. I know, I can guarantee there are people sitting in the synagogues and the houses that this is being read at, and they're going, oh, good, because I thought everything I'd done had made him want to leave me. I thought I was a lost cause. He's going to sustain you. For God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The, the Apostle Paul, in thanksgiving, accomplishes two things. He gives genuine thanks to God both for the Corinthians themselves and for God having gifted them. And at the same time, he redirects their focus back to the thing they forgot, which was nine times. What was said nine times in the first nine verses? Any, any ideas? Jesus. Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus, Jesus Christ. It's said nine times in the first nine verses. Paul, Paul redirects their focus and says, look, you guys, you guys, you're, you're missing the very thing that enables you to utilize the gifts the way that God commanded you to do it, that enables you to not be divisive, but to be unified. The very thing that brings us all together, the very thing I'm thanking God for is ours in Jesus Christ. So not only does he thank God for what he's done in the Corinthians, but he redirects them and says, look, you need, to, you need to kind of stop, go back to go, don't collect your $200, start over and go, this begins, it goes on, and it ends with Jesus Christ. It's about him, not me, not you, not Paul, not Apollos, 
None of it. It's about Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, the Apostle Paul says, I am here because of Jesus Christ. You are here because of Jesus Christ. I give thanks because of Jesus Christ. You will be sustained because of Jesus Christ. He sees it all the way through. And yet you and I move past Jesus too quickly. Oh yeah, that's cool. Jesus did that one thing for me once when I was 15 or 16 or whatever it was. That's neat. Now what else? And that's what the Corinthians have done is they started believing that there was this extra level of enlightenment that was beyond Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul quite abrasively is going to confront that through this book. He's going to say, no, 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 you don't understand. It all goes through Jesus Christ. You can go to church all you want, but without Jesus Christ, you're just sitting in a chair around a bunch of people that are actually worshiping him. You can give your money all day long, but to be fully rich, it comes through Jesus Christ. You can continue to try and obey my laws and my commands, but without Jesus Christ, you will fall very, very short. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to do. He's, he's introducing a letter to a group of people. Now, now think about this for a second. When you were first in love with someone, some of you are like, man, I can't remember that far back. Hopefully you can. You didn't say that out loud, okay? When you first met someone, if you're, if you're talking to someone or if you just met someone, let's, let's say there's, college, there's a little college love in here right now, okay, some college students, right? And you're talking to your friends, it wouldn't take long for them to realize what you're fixated on. Because his name or her name would just keep coming up. Be like, oh, that was a great burger. Oh, you know, last week, me and her, mm-hmm. we had that same burger, right? <laughs> everything, would, everything would be reoriented back to that, right? And it would be like, man, I don't even know this person, but you are about this person. Man, this is like, it's obvious. Hopefully marriages are still like that, right? Like, let's just, let's just be pitter-patter for one another, okay? But it doesn't take long. And that's what the Apostle Paul does here. He, he makes it very clear. It's about Jesus. I'm enamored with Jesus. I'm in love with Jesus. He's why I live. He's the purpose for me. He's the reason I'm re- writing this letter. He's the reason why I love you and I give thanks. It's about Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul does in this beginning. This would read drastically different if the nine times Jesus Christ was pulled out of this. He really, he promised, honestly, he probably could have said all these things and then ended with, in Jesus Christ. And it would have worked. But instead, Paul shows the Corinthians, and shows us, I believe, what we miss so often when we get distracted by divisiveness or who we follow or, or the spiritual gifts or the, the, the way we're rich or sexually immoral things. We get distracted because we lose sight of our first love. Jesus Christ isn't someone that comes out of our mouth very often, unless it's in vain, unfortunately. We don't spend much time being enamored with him. We don't, we don't have our conversations that way. We had a, a couple people come to our door the other day and leave a pamphlet. And the very first thing my girl said, which I was so proud of, look, I'm messing up. Like, don't think my kids are over spiritual. Don't put that pressure on them, okay? Right? Okay? But the very first thing one of my girls says is, do they believe in Jesus? That should be the first thought we have. That should be what just, I mean, it just should be like what exudes out of us, like because there's no hope without him. I mean, I, I, I would assume we all believe that. We're in a church today, right? We believe that the hope comes through Jesus Christ. Then why don't we live for him? And when we live for him, the rest of what the Apostle Paul will hit us in the face with a baseball bat will be really easy to take because we see it's all done through Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul's in love with him. When's the last time that nine times in two paragraphs of anything you've spoke, Jesus Christ's name was said? Not in some repetitive way, but in the recognition of everything you have is because of him. Your health is because of him. Your lack of health is because he's doing something through that for him. 
You've been made rich in every single way because of Jesus Christ. This isn't just playing church, and that's, I think that's where the Corinthians got out of just off kilter a little bit, is that they just started allowing church to just be something they did. We just kind of do church. And they didn't really let themselves remain set apart. They didn't really let themselves stay true to who God was. And so what happened is culture started seeping in, and then the church looked nothing like the church and everything like the culture. Why? Because they lost sight of Jesus Christ. Why does our life look like the world? Because we lose sight of Jesus Christ. Why do we struggle with sin? Because we've lost sight of Jesus Christ. Why do we find ourselves disunified? Because we stop pressing into Jesus Christ. As it's about him. That shouldn't be much of a shock. For some people in here, and as, as the band comes up, we're gonna continue to worship. For some people in here, even when I bring the name Jesus Christ, you like the idea of him. You like the idea of what he stands for, but you've never really given yourself entirely to him. And I don't know who you are. I'm not like thinking of you in the back of my head and, and maybe even the person sitting next to you isn't thinking that necessarily. But you know if, if you are in Jesus Christ because it can be confirmed in your spiritual gifts because you've been enriched in every way. <laughs> Because you know that in your heart of hearts, despite how hard you struggle to sometimes look for joy in this world, you realize that that will fall very short and that joy only comes through Jesus Christ. I want to invite you, I want to invite all of us today to re-up our commitment to Christ. This doesn't need to be some fancy ceremony, unless you want it to be. You can do that. That's fine. But I mean, like, no more, no more pretending. No, no more pretending because... If this is going to be a year where we give ourselves to sacrificial obedience, it's going to take a relationship with Jesus Christ for that to even happen. And not a relationship where it's like, I like him every now and then, I check in with him, but where you've given your entire life to him. Jesus doesn't say that there's a part way to follow him. It's, it's either all or none. And so I want to encourage you, whether you've ever said, Lord, I surrender to you, confessed your sins and given your life to him, or you've said that a dozen times, I want to encourage you to really, really live your life for Jesus Christ. So that whenever it comes to having a conversation with someone you care about that's struggling with something, you start with thanksgiving about what Jesus Christ has done in them. To when, when it means that you're about ready to confess something that you're struggling with, you start with a recognition of thankfulness that you can even confess and find grace because of Jesus Christ. He will sustain you. He will see you through despite what you did last night, this last week, last month, what you did again last night, what you said you wouldn't do last week or the week before that. He will sustain you. Just give yourself entirely to him. Surrender completely to him. Stop trying to do it on your own. Let him have his way. Let the words of his, of his, of his scripture, let him just live in you and watch. Watch what will happen. Your body will go at war. Your flesh will be at war. But ultimately, the, the, the profound and most beautiful thing ever is that he wins that war. He's already defeated death and sin. You don't have to go on anymore on your own. Can we be thankful for what he's done in our life already? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you. Thank you for the grace that has been shown to me. Thank you for the grace that has been shown to every other person in this room. God, for the individuals in here that haven't experienced that grace, would you just lavish it? Would you pour it out on them? Would they confess and experience love? Would they repent and see joy? God, for those of us that are in here that have been following you for a long time, but in a lot of ways have been a, a part of the 
the warts or the moles that, that, that don't look right in the church today because of our actions, God, would you just strip us of anything that isn't of you? God, and would it not be a battle? I pray that we'd actually have our hands open instead of clinging to these things. Father, may we be more in love with Jesus Christ. I know that I can't love him without him first loving me, and so he has loved me, so God, help me love him better. God, would we be a people that are enamored with him, that his name doesn't just come up in vain, doesn't just come up at the end of a flippant prayer, but is something that is in every single rhythm of every single aspect of our lives, in the way we parent, the way we go to school, the way we work. God, forgive us for being trite and being small, thinking that we need to move past Jesus Christ onto greater things. God, forgive us for that. God, as we dig into what it means to be a, a, a follower of you through the book of Corinthians, God, would you be glorified? Even as we prepare right now to talk about something that is so prevalent in our church today, just the divisiveness, God, would you start working in our hearts this week? Would you start softening us in our, in our walls, in our barriers, in our elitism, in our cliques, and the things that we continue to do to try and size up people as whether or not they are worthy of our love? God, forgive us for that. Father, would we be a people that are so enamored with you that when anyone that isn't of you sees us, all they see is you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.